Welcome to the Mulcahy Law Firm Podcast. For over 25 years, Mulcahy Law Firm has helped plan communities and condominium associations throughout the state of Arizona. Please go to iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you for listening. Here's Beth Mulcahy. Welcome to our 2023 virtual HOA Academy, class number eight. Thoughtful hiring avoids firing, selecting a management company, working effectively with managers, and the nuts and bolts of contracts. Thanks so much for being here today. As people are joining us on Zoom and Facebook Live, I'm going to be making some introductory comments. First, good morning and welcome to class number eight, 2023 of our virtual HOA Condo Academy. Our firm is so thankful for our partners to teach these virtual HOA Condo Academy classes. And the partnership is with the cities of Avondale, Chandler, Glendale, Goodyear, Mesa, Peoria, Phoenix, Scottsdale, Surprise, and Tempe. Without your support and getting the word out about our classes, our classes would not be as successful as they are. So thank you so much for partnering with us and providing free education for your board members, your residents, and managers. Let's get started by, I'd just like to introduce myself. My name is Beth Mulcahy, and I'm the managing partner and senior attorney of the Mulcahy Law Firm in Phoenix, Arizona. I have enjoyed working with and representing as their legal counsel, HOAs and condominiums in the state of Arizona for over 26 years. Um, My firm currently represents over a thousand community associations, so planned communities and condominiums throughout the state of Arizona. I also currently serve on my condo and HOA board, and I have for many years. Before we dig into the meat of the seminar, we've got a great topic today, mostly dealing with contracts and vendors and management companies. I'd like to start off by finding out who's joining us here today. It looks like we have a pretty good turnout of people that are here today. We already have 88 people on Zoom and a number of other people that are joining us on Facebook Live. So we're going to be launching two polls um, at the same time here, and they're probably already on your screen. So the first question that I have um, is poll question number one, and I'm asking, which city do you reside in? So which city is your HOA or condo located in? Or if you're joining us with the management company, which city is your management company in? And then the second question I have is, let us know your current role. So are you a board member, a community member, a manager, or somebody else in the industry? If you're joining us on Facebook Live, if you can just put those two, the answers to those two questions in the comment section, that would be awesome so that we can also know our demographic that is joining us today from Facebook Live. Before, while we're waiting for those poll results to come in, and please, I ask that as many of you as possible um, fill out the poll. We have 93 people now on Zoom that have joined with us. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about our agenda for today and how, how the class is going to be structured. In today's class, I'm first going to just do a very brief overview of the five HOA and condo bills, which were signed into law this legislative session. As many of you may know, the legislature has now um, ended their 2023 session, and we have an effective date or when these laws are going to be going into effect. So we're going to talk just briefly about that. Then we're going to dig into the topic for today, which is how to select a management company, number one, Um, the importance of um, the role of the community manager in your association, how to effectively work with your vendors, whether it's management companies, landscapers, pool companies, Um, maybe you're hiring a contractor to do a large master plan renovation or a pool contractor to redo your pool. We're going to talk about what are some suggestions on how to effectively work with the contractors or vendors. 
And last, we're going to provide the nuts and bolts of contracts. So when your board is entering into a contract, um, what are the types of things that you should have on your radar? What are things that are problem areas that you need to be aware of so that you don't make a bad decision when you're um, negotiating a contract with a third party? As always, we're going to have our brief Q&A at the end of the class today, um, and I'll make sure that I answer every question before we log off today. So we encourage you throughout the class today to submit your questions via the Q&A box on Zoom or in the comment section of Facebook Live. And I promise you, like I said, we'll answer every question before we sign off today. The only caveat I have is that please only one question per person and also be specific in the question because it's really hard for me to ask you a follow-up question um, in a live presentation like this. And if I don't understand the question, then I may not be able to effectively answer it during the presentation. So try to be as clear as possible when you're, you're posing the question to me. Okay, let's go back and take a look at who's here today. So um, in terms of the cities that are represented here today, we have 6% from the city of Chandler, 3% from Glendale, 10% from Goodyear, great job, Goodyear, 9% from Mesa, great job, Mesa, 7% from Peoria, wonderful, 18% from Phoenix, and 40% from Scottsdale. So I was talking with Bruce Wall, who is Neighborhood Services out of the city of Scottsdale. He tried something new. It obviously worked, Bruce. 40% of our people here today um, are from Scottsdale. So thanks for getting the word out. Surprise has 1% that are here today, and Tempe has 6%. So great, great showing of almost every city that's partnering with us to provide education to uh, your residents. The next question I have the answer to is, what is your current role with the association? 71% of you are board members, 10% are managers. That's actually pretty high for, um, we usually don't have quite as many managers, so great to see that number. 13% are interested homeowners and 6% are other people in our industry. So welcome everybody. It looks like we have a pretty strong presence um, of board members and an equally good presence of managers and homeowners who are interested in their communities. So thank you all for being here today. Okay, um, we're going to start out uh, today and talk a little bit about the Arizona legislature and what happened this year in the legislature. So I've been following the legislature since 1996 when I started practicing condo and HOA law in Arizona. And this was the longest legislative session in Arizona's history, or at least as long as I have been um, an attorney practicing in this area. There are a number of bills that were passed into law this year. There were also a number of vetoes, which is kind of unusual. Our new governor, Governor Hobbs, um, had an unusually large number of vetoes this year. In terms of the HOA and condo bills, there were five bills that were passed. All of these bills are going to go into effect on October 30th, 2023. So we have a few months to kind of get our arms around the new bills that are going to pertain to associations and um, make sure that we fully analyze them so we can give good advice to our clients. We're already starting to get a lot of great questions um, on the new legislation. This fall, closer to the effective date, we're going to be spending a little bit more time at one of our online uh, presentations talking in depth about the bills and giving a further explanation. Today, I'm just going to briefly mention them, and I'm going to point you to our um, summary of the bills for you to take a look at if you want to do more of a deep dive. So the first bill talks a little bit about, let's see, protected flags, political flags. So 
basically it just expands in condominiums and playing communities the right of an owner to have a historic United States flag or American flag, such as the Betsy Ross flag. So somebody wants to put that flag up, um, we can't prohibit it. The next bill was talking about board member removal and basically just sharpened the penalties if an association doesn't act quickly on a board removal petition. And so basically, if the board doesn't call the board removal meeting after receiving a valid petition, then you have 30 days to call that board removal meeting if the petition has the requisite number of signatures under the law. Um, all the board members are automatically removed if they don't act and call that special meeting of the membership and have it within 30 days after the receipt of the petition. So pretty stiff penalty if you're not acting promptly on that 31st day after that petition, valid petition is submitted, you're out as a board member. If you don't act, all the board members are out, just the ones that are being removed. So it's interesting, but it's I'm sure that there have been instances where there's been delays, and that's probably what prompted this bill. We also saw a bill on political activity with an association. Um, again, we've seen a couple of bills over the past few years talking about members wanting to meet in the common areas. That was last year. Now this bill just says that any person who is not accompanied by a unit owner or a resident of the association in a condo or a planned community can't enter the association for political activity if the association restricts vehicular or pedestrian access. So if you are one of these guard-gated communities and you have somebody that wants to come in and hand out flyers about a proposition or something, they can't do that unless they are accompanied by a member of your community or a resident in your community. Kind of a, a big, big bill that's going to be important for playing communities. If your streets are owned by a governmental agency or dedicated to the public, they're going to be, there's going to need to be a vote in your plan community regarding whether or not the association is going to continue to reg regulate the public roadways. And so we're going to be talking more about that. Um, that's going to be something prospectively you're going to need to plan out if you're a plan community or, and if your roads are dedicated to um, the public or to municipality. And last but not least, there's an insurance coverage bill for condominiums that just kind of clarifies some condominiums must maintain insurance on common elements and the units, and it gives the owners the right to report a insurance loss directly to the association's property insurance policy. In the past, the association was a gatekeeper and the board was a gatekeeper on making claims. Now owners can directly go and make a claim in a condominium. So. That was a very quick summary of the five laws that were passed. Again, we're going to be sharing with you, if we haven't already, our 2023 legislative summary. And we are going to be doing a very deep dive on the new legislation in the future to talk more about these bills as we get closer to the time when they're actually going to go into effect and we're going to be required to follow them, which will be October 30th, 2023. Okay, let's shift gears and talk a little bit about um, our hot topic for today, um, our different hot topics for today. So the first topic we're going to talk about is selecting a management company. This is what I would call probably one of the most regular questions that I get at least once or twice a week. I have a board that I work with as their legal counsel, or maybe one of our viewers for the classes that we teach reach out to me and ask for advice on handling their management company, if they're having problems, terminating their management company, or hiring a new one. Um, maybe they've been terminated by the management company, and now the association needs to find a management company. 
So what I'd like to do is just take a, a little bit of time here today and talk about the process of selecting a management company and the different steps that you may want to follow. Um, we have a really great cheat sheet on this topic. And for those of you who are not familiar with our cheat sheets, we have over 60 cheat sheets on a variety of topics that pertain to HRAs and condos in Arizona. One of these cheat sheets is specifically on how to select a management company. Um, and you can find our cheat sheets. We're going to be sharing it with you on Zoom and Facebook Live today on this topic and other topics. But you also can always find our cheat sheets on our website at mulcahylawfirm.com. Just click on our cheat sheet tab. You'll see an index of all the different cheat sheets that we have on 60 plus topics. Okay, so when we're going through the process of you know selecting a management company, it's going to require time and research to pick a good management company that's going to be a good fit for your community. And I think we're going to give you a little formula here today that I think will be helpful so that you make a good decision on who you hire as your management company. So kind of the things, the criteria that goes through my mind when a client HOA or condo calls me and says, we want to make a change on our management company and we want to hire a new one. You know, what I do is I go into fact-finding mode and I ask them questions about, well, tell me about why you want to make the change or what are the issues that, you know, you're upset about with your current management company. And What's really important? What are some important core values for your association that maybe they're not meeting? And I'll ask them what their geographic location is because I don't want to give them a management company in Tucson if the association is located in North Scottsdale. That may not be geographically a good fit unless maybe that company has an office in North Scottsdale too. And so, you know, and then also I oftentimes will, you know, ask what type of problems do you have in your community? Because some management companies have a stronger skill set on financials, in my experience, or some may have better customer service skills, or some may be really capable at handling large master plan projects where you're redoing a lot of the pools on the clubhouse and you need somebody to support the board as you're navigating that process. Or maybe your association doesn't have a lot of money and we need to talk through, are we going to or do you have enough money to hire a full service management company that can provide full management service, including attending board meetings and contacts with owners and violations, in addition to running the financial side of your association? Sometimes I get boards that come to me that have never had a management company. They've been self-managed and the board is getting tired and they want to bring in a management company to help with the workload, or maybe the board members want to get off the board. And um, the only way they think that they can do it and have things still run smoothly is to hire a management company. So there's a lot of different reasons, you know, why boards and associations, you know, want to choose a new management company. Ultimately, remember that the relationship between the board and the management company, it's a contract, right? It's a contractual relationship. Ultimately, the management company, just like myself as the attorney, answers to the board. And something that I've noticed over the year in practicing you know, in this area is that sometimes that gets a little mixed up in our industry. Sometimes the management company is telling the board, you know, we got to do it this way or it's this way or the highway. And in some cases, that's okay because they have a lot of experience and they may have already come up with the secret formula that makes things tick really well and run really well. But there are other times where sometimes it gets a little overreaching, in my opinion. 
And the management company will say, well, you know, we only do things this way. Like we only will do whatever violation inspections once a quarter and you want it monthly as the board. I mean, again, that all needs to be negotiated as part of your contract with the management company. But remember that ultimately the board and the association are the client of the management company. And ultimately you make the final call. We all give you our input. The lawyer gives you input. Management company gives you input, but ultimately you are the decision maker for your association. Ultimately, what you want to do as or your goal as a board is to find a management company with the expertise and the services that meet the needs of your community. And by matching the association's needs with a management company's strengths, that should be a really good formula for um, success for your communities. One thing I want to mention is sometimes when you're setting these management companies out to bid, you know, to to hire them, select them to be a manager for your association. Sometimes we hear association board members, you know, want to always pick the lowest bid. That may not be the best thing for your community. And we're going to talk about this when we talk about analyzing a contract because maybe their monthly contract price is the lowest contract bid but maybe they have a statement of extra fees, like an a la carte statement, they call it like an exhibit A on these contracts. And those double the monthly fee when you really get down to it in terms of the different things that they're doing for you on top of the contract. So you want to be really savvy to analyze the contract and bring your lawyer in to help you do that. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then remember, it's not always the lowest bid that wins. It's the best fit and also looking to make sure that there aren't any hidden Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how do you select a management company? So first things first, you need to identify and create a timeline for the selection process. So every association is going to have a different timeline. You may have just received notice on August 1st that you are have been terminated by your management company, or maybe you terminate the management company and they're in your existing contract, there's only a 30-day termination clause. So guess what? September 1st, you need to have a new management company in place. So if you are in that short timeline, we've got to really hustle to get this process put together quickly. And so others may be thinking about firing their management company, but you know we're not quite ready. So we can be a little slower and quieter in the process. Um, and we may be able to you know, spread this out over two months, three months, six months, depending on how quickly you want to make that change. So basically, we, we want to take a look at where we are in the process. How quickly do we need to move? Um, or can we make this a little bit more leisurely and do our research in a more leisurely manner? Okay, so the first thing is that you want to do if you're going to select a new management company is I want to just tell you a little practice player from being in the trenches. Arizona is a small community, even though we've grown exponentially since 1996 when I moved here. It ultimately is kind of a small community for HOAs and condos. And it doesn't even really matter if it's in Tucson or Phoenix or Flagstaff or Sholo or wherever your association is located. It's still a small community. And so if you are thinking about firing your management company and you're just kind of quietly looking around, It's very possible when you're quietly looking around, you're going to talk to somebody who is going to call your current management company and say, hey, ABC Association is looking. I got a call for them and they're asking questions about our management company. 
And so you really do kind of need to know that in the back of your mind. Now, if you tell your attorney, your attorney is bound by the professional rules of conduct to keep that information confidential, but the management companies aren't. So if you're out there talking to other management companies, it's very possible it's going to get back to your existing management company. And why do I say that? Because they may look at the contract and they may terminate you first if they know you're already looking. So just just a thought. So the first thing that you're going to want to do is um, develop some bidding specifications for your community. And some things to keep in mind would be, um, what's your budget for the you know, to hire a management company? And then what level of service does your association require? Do you want full service management company? Do you want just financial help? Um, meaning that they just run your finances. And then step three is going to be identifying a list of pre-qualified candidates or different management companies that could potentially be a good fit for your community. In my opinion, only association or only companies that specialize in HOAs and condominium management should be considered at this juncture because we have a lot of different rules and regulations and our industry is unique. I wouldn't go and hire a manager that maybe manages commercial properties to manage your association unless they also have expertise in managing residential HOAs and condominiums. So how do you come up with a list of management companies? There's a number of different ways that you can do that. You can ask your you know, attorney or the association who you work with us, you understand our problems, legal problems that we have. Who would you recommend to that would be a good fit for our association? And like I said, I asked the questions about, you know, where are you geographically located? What are the problems? What are you looking for? What's important to you? A lot of associations also, you know, maybe they belong to a trade organization like the Community Associations Institute, Central Arizona Chapter, great organization. Maybe you go to a luncheon for that. They have luncheons every month. And maybe you ask around, what management company do you have? Do you like them? Are you happy? And maybe you get some names that way. Maybe you look at communities surrounding your association that are well-maintained and maybe you ask them, hey, which association management company are you using? Are you happy? Regardless, you're going to want to narrow the field to at least three or five management companies that you want to interview to be your management company for your association. At this point, then you wanted to prepare what we call an RFP or a request for a bid. And basically, the RFP is going to explain what your association is all about, how large large you are, where you're located, offer them to be able to take a tour of the property, the date the bidding closes, when you're going to be making the selection of the company. You're going to give a, a brief summary of the association, like I said. And then also, you're going to talk about what are the needs of the association, such as are they going to be required to be doing general administrative work? What type of maintenance work is required? What type of vendors are they going to be overseeing? Financial management expectations. Are they going to be handling enforcement and collections and delinquencies? Do they have to set up a website for you? Or is there going to be a newsletter requirement that you want them to send out a newsletter? We have a great sample request for proposal. And we also have a request for proposal grid that we're going to be sharing with you on Zoom and Facebook Live that can help you through this process if you're one of those associations. This is just a sample one that, you know, it's a generic one that we've created to help you with this process if you're getting ready to send out an update. 
Another thing that you should put in the RFP is a request for references and what their credentials are. You're going to be asking for what is the management fee going to be? What are some hourly costs that are not part of the basic fee? And all of this is going to be included in the RFP. Sometimes associations will, you know, management companies that are interested in bidding, sometimes they'll ask to come to the property and meet with a board member just to get a little tour of the property. That's always a good sign that they're interested and they want to hear more about your community. It's not required, but I always kind of get a little gold star for the person that does that because I think it's smart for the vendor to know what they're getting into and also to kind of get a feel for the board and see what it's going to be like to work with them. Okay, then once you get the bids back, so you send out the RFP, there's a date that they have to respond by. Then what we do is we take a look at the bids that come in through the RFP and we look at this grid that I gave you earlier. And we grade them about what are the differences between the candidates based on paper. How can we compare them apples to apples in terms of the type of management support that they can give us? At this point, we might want to put any comments that have been received from the references. You should check references very carefully. Not only the references that they put in the vid, but also ask others in the industry, like confidentially, what's their reputation? Do they do a good job? Are they professional? Do they treat owners well? Are they responsive? Are they getting sued a lot? These are all really good questions. Your attorney can help you answer confidentially a lot of those questions. At this point, then you're also going to be reviewing, um, like I said, the references. You're going to make sure that they're licensed, that they have bonding, that they have adequate insurance to meet the needs of your community. Then you're going to do an interview. Maybe you pick two or three of the top candidates and you have an interview of them in an open board meeting. This is not something that should be done in a closed board meeting. This is an open board meeting topic. And you know, you bring them in and ask some questions about their companies. Um, have them introduce themselves. I've sat through a lot of interviews and I've interviewed for my association a number of different management companies and managers. You know, it's their opportunity to come in and tell us why we should hire them. Why, why their management company is going to be the best fit for our community. And usually it's a pretty good indicator as to who you know, you're going to hire. Usually there's one standout that you really like. Sometimes you know, maybe there are two. A really good idea would be to ask who's the manager that will be the manager for our community. Oftentimes what they say is, well, we're hiring somebody to fill this spot. That's always tricky because you're hiring the person and the company that you meet at the interview, right? And you like them, but you may never meet, see them again, right? After the interview. So you want to make sure that they tell you about who they're planning to hire, or if they have somebody on their team right now, you want to see their resume. They should bring them along to the interview if possible so that you can meet them and get a better feel for them. And then basically, once you determine who is the the leader, so to speak, what you don't want to do is tell them you're hired. Okay. And here's why, because you want them, you've got to review the contract, right? And how it typically works is they send over a sample contract. All the management companies have their own contract that they want to use. And you want to look at the terms before you hire them, all the terms. And so important things. And we're going to talk about this closer to the end of the presentation in terms of how to analyze these contracts, but not only the contract price, which you'll already know from the RFP, but what are the hidden costs and how are they handling insurance for their company? 
And do they have a fidelity bond? And do we have to indemnify them? And if so, under what circumstances would the association have to pay for their legal costs or indemnify them in the event that there's a mistake that's made on the part of the board or the management company? So these are all really important things that you look at in the contract. So once you find the leader that you think is the one that you like, or if you have two that are both standouts, ask them, tell them, be like, hey, we really liked you. And we are very interested in working with you. Can you send over a sample contract so we can take a look at it and see what you're proposing? And then when you get that sample contract, make sure you're talking with your attorney for the association, because there are things that I'm looking at in the contract to protect you. Number one, the first thing I'm looking at is the termination provision. If you're not happy with this company, how do we get out of the contract quickly? How are the transfer records handled after you fire them? I mean, there's just a whole process that can be a nightmare if the termination isn't clearly spelled out in the contract. Also, are they overcharging? Like I'm looking on the Exhibit A costs. Are they charging above the market rate that management companies are charging for different services? So I can look at the contract and just make notes that obviously I want you to keep confidential, that I think you're paying too much on this or this fee should go to the association. It's typical that the management company gets this fee, like maybe the disclosure fee for doing a disclosure statement for the buyers. That's going to be typically something that the management company will get. But maybe the capital improvement fee or the, the transfer fee, that's something that I think really the association should get. Um, and so we'll, you know, I'll look carefully at the language on the indemnification provision too to make sure that we're not just agreeing to pay for their legal defense on anything. You know, we we'll want to make sure that it's fair and that it goes both ways. Because if they make a mistake on something when their management company, the board doesn't want to get sued for that, right? So we we want to carefully look at the contract to make sure it's the best possible contract that the association can get. Um, and then once we, you know, we make comments on the contract, then you know, the board, whoever the leading candidate is for the management company, maybe the board president or myself will go back to the management company and say, okay, this is a great contract. We just have a couple minor edits and negotiate those edits. Typically, it's not a big deal. I'm not asking for anything outlandish or out of the ordinary. I'm just looking for a fair contract for my client. Okay. So then the next thing, the next step is after we agree verbally, okay, we've got a contract verbally. I think we all agree on the terms. Then the next thing the board needs to do is at an open board meeting, we need to approve the hiring of this management company. So this entire process, just so you know, is done in the open session. This is not something that's done behind closed doors or in executive session. The selection of the management company, talking about the management contracts is all done in the open session. And then the last thing to do really is sign the contract. And who has authority to sign the contract? Typically, it's the president of the association. We'll want to check the bylaws to make sure that that is accurate. But typically, it is the president. Um, and then basically, once you have hired the management company, then you just want to work effectively with the old management company to pass the torch to the new management company. Sometimes, unfortunately, there are problems with the transfer from one management company to the other. I guess what I tell everybody in the industry, I've been around for a quarter of a century. I can't believe it's been that long, but it has. And I can just tell you that it's just not worth it to get into it on these transitions. People get fired all the time. Management companies get fired all the time. 
lawyers get fired from time to time. Be professional. If you are the management company that's been fired, be nice, be professional, give them everything that they need to succeed. Give the new management company information that they need to set up the owners to in their system to transfer things electronically so that they don't have to recreate everything. Be nice because guess what? At some point, it's going to grow the other way. The other management company is going to get fired and your management company is getting hired. And you certainly appreciate that when the professional courtesy is extended both ways. So I really highly recommend that everybody be professional on these transitions. There's plenty of work for everybody. There's 10,000 associations in Arizona. No need to get you know rude, snotty, and be mean as part of the transition. That's your time to shine and show how professional you are. Now, I can tell you a couple of war stories from being in the trenches for many years. I've seen transitions, horrible transitions, where the management company, and this is kind of back in the paper days, but the management company took all of the owner files, they were paper, of course, back then, and they threw everything in a box, right? But before they threw everything in a box, they opened the folder and threw all the papers out of the folder and then mixed all of the homeowner's papers together. That's just so unprofessional, right? And not something that we should be doing. More recently, I've seen a few transitions where the management company refuses to give an electronic transfer of anything and they just print everything out and give it to the new management company. Just do what you can to make the transition as easy as possible. And you never know, they're going to be doing a transition back to you in the future. And I'm sure you'd appreciate the professional courtesy of them doing it properly too. Okay, let's switch gears. And like I said, we have a great cheat sheet on how to select a management company. I encourage you to look at that. That's a deep dive. I give you some sample questions for how you can interview the management companies. Whatever you do, please take this to heart. Be nice when you're interviewing the management companies because they're interviewing you too, right? They don't want to get into a situation with a difficult, demanding, mean, overbearing board. So it's they're interviewing you too. And so give them a reasonable amount of time to return the request for proposal. Ask them if they're available on the date that you want to interview them. Don't just tell them, oh, be here at 6 p.m. at you know, whatever. Be nice. It's a two-way street. You're setting the stage for how the relationship is going to go. You're dating, right? Um, when you're dating somebody, you should be on your best behavior. And so remember that as you're navigating this process, they're interviewing you too. And because there's plenty of associations out there, they're really good they may take a pass on you if you're really difficult and not choose to work with your association. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the qualities of an A-plus manager. So when you have the relationship with a management company, it just really depends on what the requirements are in your management contract. So you always want to go back to what does the management contract say in terms of what should the manager or management company be doing? So it could be all-inclusive, which like we talked about, includes violations, delinquency, collection, financials and budget, maintenance of records, annual meeting attendance, regular board meeting attendance, correspondence to owners, responding to phone calls. That could be all-inclusive or it could just be very limited to just the financial side. Um, you have to look at what your contract says to determine what exactly their role is. But Here's, here are the qualities of managers and management companies that I think are five-star. So first of all, they're really great communicators. They listen to homeowners. 
who have concerns or problems with the association, and they try to troubleshoot with the owners to resolve the issue. They So they return phone calls, right? They respond to emails within 24 or 48 hours if possible. If they don't know the answer, they say, I'm sorry, I don't know the answer, but I will get back to you. And then they get back to them. You know, they notify the board right away about serious issues or problems or things that could lead to litigation or insurance claims that need to be made quickly. They don't let things fester. Management companies get an important notice from the state or the city or the county. They don't put it in the corner of their desk and say, oh, I'm not going to worry about that. I don't know what that means, but I don't think I have to follow that deadline. No, that's not the sign of an A-plus manager. You know, an A-plus manager gets something that's time sensitive. They act on it promptly to protect the interests of the association. Sometimes the manager is part of this communication role. Sometimes they have to say, I'm sorry, that didn't go the way that I wish it had. And what can we do to make this situation better? That's the sign of a A-plus manager. Somebody who recognizes that, hey, there may have been a mistake made. It may have been by the lockbox company, or it may have been by the bank, or it may have been maybe a check got deposited in the wrong association's account. I don't know what the issue is, but sometimes we just have to be nice and say to the owners, we are so sorry that we are in this situation and we are going to make it right. And um, thank you for being so reasonable to work with and we'll fix this. Um, another quality of an A-plus manager in terms of communication is they communicate frequently with the board. They give a weekly update. Like let's say every Friday, two board members on accomplishments or challenges or problems that they've faced that week. I know, like I said, from being in this industry for 25 years, that board members get amped up about stuff, myself included. Remember, I've been on my board for 14 years now on weekends. Because during the week, I'm really busy with my kids and work and I got my mind on other things. But then on the weekend, I'm you know walking our dog and I see a problem in the community. And that's sometimes when I have my mind clear to email our manager to say, hey, can you look into this? Or I've been thinking about this and I think this needs to be handled differently. If the manager is on the ball every Friday, they are already emailing the board to talk about what's going on, what the problems are, what they're working on. And I love it when our manager does it because I already know going into the weekend that she's on top of something. So if I'm walking around our neighborhood and I see that the streetlights are out, I already know she knows and I know she's already contacted the city to talk about it. And there is, that's just a really good feeling. As a board member, because you're not always having to take your phone out and take a picture and say, did you know this is, needs to be fixed? So having the manager communicating with the board on Friday, guess what, managers? That makes for a better weekend for you too, because you're not getting 80 emails from the board saying, this sprinkler's broken. The wall needs to be repainted. There are ants at the pool, you know, or whatever. Um, you're still going to get those, but I bet you're going to get a lot fewer emails if you're communicating well with your board. Another thing just on communication as a manager, encourage your boards to communicate with the owners in your community because the boards that communicate the most about what's going on, what the problems are, what our future plans are, those boards have the fewest amount of problems. 
also encourage your boards to, you know, not play hide the ball on things. If owners want to see records, give them the records. Put the minutes of the meeting on the website. Be open. We're not trying to hide anything in this community. Everything is on the table. We're here to answer your questions. We're volunteers, but we are trying our best to make the best possible decisions for our community. So encouraging your board to communicate and helping them by writing stuff up. And maybe even once a week, there's a summary going out to the owners of what's going on as well. Some other responsibilities of an A-plus manager are making sure that maintenance and repairs of the common areas are being done. You should be conducting weekly inspections or bi-weekly inspections. You should be investigating maintenance problems quickly. If there's like a issue in somebody's unit, like let's say there's a roof leak and somebody's unit is damaged due to the roof leak and the association is responsible for the roof. Um, and therefore we're pulled into the damage inside the unit. Be sympathetic and recognize that, hey, this person is, this is really a disruption to this owner. I mean, all of their furniture is covered in tarps and they can't sleep in one bedroom and the bathroom doesn't work anymore or whatever the issues are. And try to get that issue resolved as quickly as possible. Um, because the longer those projects go on and on and on, the more upset the owner gets. And then they're going to complain to the board and then the board's going to be you know, upset with the manager. So A-plus manager sees a problem, addresses it as quickly as possible and communicates with everybody about the problem and realistic expectations for how long the problem is going to take to be fixed. As a board, as a manager for community, you need to have a strategy for regular board meetings and annual meetings. That's your time to shine as a manager. Be really well-prepared. Get that packet out early for your regular board meetings. Try to limit those board meetings to one hour, if at all possible. And do that by keeping the board informed throughout the month and then having that packet be really organized so that the board just comes in and makes decisions at the board meeting. The annual meeting is the one meeting of the year where we get the highest homeowner attendance. So we really want to plan and prepare for that well. We have actually a cheat sheet just on annual meetings on our website that would be really helpful for you, as well as cheat sheets on board meetings, how to run an effective board meeting. And all of those things are, are really important for you to be thinking about as you're planning the annual meeting of the membership for your board. Don't forget insurance for the association. You want to make sure that you are paying the premium on time. In Arizona, you receive notice uh, 60 days before the policy is up for renewal. If you get a notice that says, hey, you're not going to be renewed, that is something that goes in the hot pile, obviously, and we are going to need to put out the insurance for bids. But just making sure that you know, you're on top of making sure that the insurance premium is being paid and that claims are being made in a timely manner. And that when anybody's ever saying to the association, we're going to sue the association, like homeowners saying, I'm going to sue the board, I'm going to sue the association, I'm going to sue the management company, red flags should be going off in the um, eyes of the manager that, hey, we need to notify our insurance company of a possible claim that could be made against the association. That's part of our notice requirements under the policy. Remember that we have to pay taxes as an association. So making sure that the association is mailing state and federal taxes. Taxes are always due March 15th. So having that on your radar, if you can't get them filed March 15th, then you know get an extension, file them September 15th, then your CPA for your association should be handling all of this. Remember that the association has to have an audit review or compilation annually. 
for the prior year's books and records. And so making sure that the board is making decisions so that that is being done is important. You have to file an annual report every year with the Corporation Commission. So managers and board members making sure that you are checking when that annual report is due on the Arizona Corporation Commission's website and making sure that you're filing it. You got to stay on top of delinquencies when you're the manager and making sure that you're bringing files to the attention of the board. Hey, this should go to the attorney or this needs to be leaned or what do you want to do on this homeowner's payment plan? So because how we pay the management company's bill is through the income we get in unpaid assessment in assessment income. So we want to make sure that we don't get a high delinquency list. Another responsibility for managers is paying your bills on time. I don't like it as a vendor of the association when you don't pay my bill on time. And that's one of your responsibilities as a manager. So when those bills come in, code it quickly, get the board to approve it and get that bill paid. Keep your boards out of trouble. When you see the boards making a wrong turn, maybe that's a time to document like, hey, I'm really concerned about this decision. Maybe you should get an opinion from the association's attorney, or maybe we should call the insurance company and see what their take is on this. Encouraging the boards to get bids on contracts you know, on contractor projects or capital improvement projects in the association. Since COVID, things have changed a little bit. Sometimes it's hard to get three bids, but at least making a good effort to make sure that we're paying fair market value is something we should encourage in boards. And that's what A-plus managers do. Keeping ad- accurate records and responding to records requests timely on behalf of the association. Um, So keeping that corporate record structure in place. And then when owners want to see the records being professional as a manager and getting those records to the owners that are requesting them within 10 business days and having enough knowledge of the law that you're aware what records can be disclosed and what records can't be disclosed. And knowing as the manager If you don't know the answer to something, going to your trusted legal advisor for the association to give you advice and point you in the right direction. Um, Last but not least, we already talked about this a little bit on the management company selection process. Be professional when the relationship ends with the association. If you are an A-plus manager, you are not burning bridges. You are not sabotaging the association when they move to another management company. You're helping the new management company with the transition you're being positive, you're wishing the new or wishing the board and the new management company well, you're telling them you're available after the transition to answer any questions that may come up and you're being nice. Basically, those are the qualities of an A-plus manager. We have a short cheat sheet on the same topic. If you're interested in taking a look at it, giving it to your manager, I know we 10% of the people on the call today, looks like we're up to 119 people on Zoom, which is awesome and more on Facebook Live. So we had at least 10 or 15, maybe even 20 managers here with us today. Take a look at this. And I'd like to commend the managers that are here today because obviously you care about our industry if you're taking time during the middle of the day to listen in on the seminar. So great job. Um, I bet if I had to guess, probably all of you already have the A-plus manager checklist going and you're following all of it. Okay. We're going to be talking about a couple of more topics here today. They're short topics, so they're going to be quick. But a couple things to think about in terms of working effectively with vendors. So we've talked, we've been kind of like management company heavy for most of this presentation today. Let's talk about other vendors. What are some other vendors that you are going to be working with if you are you know, on an association board or your association works with? 
landscape professionals, pool contractors. Maybe you're bringing in a general contractor to renovate your clubhouse. You know, there's a pest control companies. I mean, there's all different kinds of vendors that you may have that you're working with if your association, you know, has a board and, and you're bringing in independent contractors to work with you. First things first, including your relationship with the management company, remember that it's a team relationship. Okay. And I'm a vendor too of your association. We are a team. The way that I view my relationship with the associations that we work with is that I'm your teammate and I want the best for the team. And the advice that I'm giving you is so that you make good decisions. And so think about that when you're working with your vendors. Hopefully they are have your best interests at heart and they are giving you advice that is prudent and, you know, the right advice for the whatever project you have them working on or monthly service that they're providing. But recognize that you're a team. So you want to treat your vendors respectfully and nicely. A good way to build a good team is to talk about what are your expectations up front. Communicate you know, to them, this is what we expect. If the contract says that you are going to landscape the community once a week, we expect to see you here on the same day and we expect to have you here for six hours or whatever. And we expect that all the grass is going to be mowed. And we expect that if a sprinkler is broken on the day you're here, you're checking the sprinklers to see if anything's broken and then you fix it. So giving them expectations up front um, that are consistent with your contract and then communicating throughout the relationship. So if something doesn't go well, say like, hey, I, I was concerned that you didn't return my call quickly, or I was concerned that you left the chemicals for the pool out on the pool deck and those should have been locked away. Or I was concerned that we usually trim our palm trees in July and we haven't even brought it up. What's going on? So opening the lines of communications when there is something that isn't quite right or that you feel should have been handled differently. Very important. Don't let things fester. If there are problems, have them come to a meeting and talk about the problems or have the president meet with them or have the management company meet with them and explain to them what the issues are. Now, if it's a problem with the management company, you know maybe it's the manager that you're working with, you're not getting along with, whatever the issue is, go about that person. Go to the regional person or maybe the president of the company and talk about what the issues are and what your expectations are. First, of course, talk to the manager, but then if that's not working and the behavior is still continuing, then go up higher. Hold them accountable to the terms of the contract. So point them back to the contract. Out of the contract, it says that you're going to do this twice a month. I'm not seeing this being done. I need you to do this because this is part of our negotiated contract. What to do when you have problems? Document it. Documented in writing. Meet with them and then document it in writing with a letter. Um, and then if it gets to the point where it's not changing, then you may be looking at how to terminate them and what the process you're going to follow for terminating them depends on what the contract says. You may need to reach out to your attorney, help you with you know the termination process and better understanding how exactly the termination works. A couple things on vendors that I just want to mention, be very careful with long-term contracts for like five years, 10 years without any way to terminate the contract. That is, we see those sometimes with internet providers, you know, maybe you're doing cell towers in your community and they want you to sign a 20-year deal or whatever. You've got to have your legal counsel looking at those issues because you don't want to get stuck in something and have no way out. Same thing with waste management companies. You want to be really careful on those contracts. I have seen a number of disputes 
on the termination side where the board just wants to fire the waste management company and the contract doesn't allow them to be fired for like a decade. And so it's really a, a difficult, uncomfortable situation because nobody's happy. That's really it on just my tips on working with the vendors, just to kind of sum it up, make sure you're a team, make sure that you are talking about expectations up front, communicate throughout the process when there's problems, hold them accountable to the contract, go higher up in the company if they're the person that you're dealing with isn't responding adequately, and then reach out to your attorney if you're thinking about terminating. Okay. If any of you have a large capital improvement project coming up, in the next year or two, or you're starting to plan it, I highly recommend that you take a look at our bidding and contracting cheat sheet, where we talk about large projects, like big ones where you're re-roofing the entire community, or you're you know, redoing your pool and the pool decking, um, or maybe you're repaving your common areas. Have some great tips on how to navigate that process on you know, these large contracts. Um, it's called bidding and contracting, and we're going to be sharing that with you. Um, unfortunately, just because we only have an hour for these classes, I can't go through it in depth, but um, the cheat sheet is self-explanatory. It contains a lot of great information if you're getting ready to embark on one of those large capital improvement projects. Okay, last topic we're going to talk about before we go into questions is contracts. How do we handle contracts as an association? First things first, typically the board is getting a boilerplate contract from most of your vendors. And so the vendor is asking you to sign their contract, right? And so, of course, they wrote their contract and the terms are going to be favorable to them. And so you want to make sure that you don't just sign any old contract that comes over from a vendor. There needs to be some analysis done by the board. And also, you should be running contracts by your association's attorney. And so here are some questions that you should be thinking about when you're entering into a contract with the vendor. Um, Does it clearly define the parties that are bound by the contract? Um, This is kind of an interesting topic right now because we're starting to see a lot of management companies being bought out by national management companies. And so maybe ABC Association has a management contract with XYZ Management Company, but XYZ Management Company just sold to another management company out of Texas or whatever. And so how does that work under the contract? So you want to make sure that when you're, and that's a, that's a trend we're seeing in our industry. So when you're you know, hiring management companies now, we really want to understand how that's going to work. Is there going to be an opportunity for the board to say, no, we don't want to go with this large company that's coming in and buying my little small management company that I hired? Do we have a right to get out of the contract if that happens? You know, most contracts are written in in a way that it applies to the management company and anybody we assign the contract to. So we want to make sure that we're thinking about that as we're negotiating the terms of the contract. You should be looking at hidden costs in the contract. That exhibit A that a landscape company, a management company puts together is going to have the extra charges. How much is that going to actually mean for your association? And are we paying market rate for those extra charges? Are the project start and completion times, or is the term of the contract clearly defined in the contract? One thing that I've learned over 25 years of practicing law is that you have to hold contractors accountable. So if you're doing a large project, you want to make sure that the contract specifically outlines when the project is going to start 
and how it's going to progress. And you may even want to have like a bonus incentive built into the contract so that if they finish by X date, they get a bonus. If it's like an annual contract for landscaping or management, you want to clearly state what the term of the contract is. Does it automatically renew termination provisions? We've talked about this a couple of times in this presentation, but how is the termination provision structured? This is really important for when you're signing a contract because if you're not happy or if a future board isn't happy with whoever the vendor is, we want to make sure we give them the tools to get out of the contract seamlessly and easily. You know, how are payments accepted and how quickly do we have to make the payments to the vendor? How do we handle disagreements? Like, is this going to go to binding arbitration? Are we going to mediate disputes? Is there going to be litigation? Um, if we have to hire a lawyer to handle a dispute in the contract, who pays the attorney's fees? Does everybody pay their own? If the prevailing party wins in litigation, you know, how is that handled? All of these things need to be in the contract. We should be talking about negligence or intentional acts by either the board or the management company or the landscaper. And is there indemnification? Meaning, does the association indemnify and pay for you know the management company if they're named in a lawsuit because of some decision that the board made at a board meeting? What type of insurance do they have? Is it sufficient? Are board members personally liable to payments to the contractor? That should not be the case. We want to make sure that that zinger isn't in the contract. You know, and so these are all different things that should be going through your mind as you're getting these contracts. And so be thoughtful when you get a contract. Don't be in a huge, you know, I got to sign it the same day it comes in. Talk to your trusted advisors, your attorney possibly maybe even your insurance company, your management company, to get their feedback about the contract. Um, and then definitely have the attorney sign off on any final contract that you're thinking of entering into. Okay, so that's it for our main topics today. We covered a lot of information today. We really did. We talked about how to be thoughtful and how we hire our management companies that associations are working with, qualities of an A-plus manager, how to work effectively with your vendors, and then what are some nuts and bolts of contracts that you really need to have on your radar um, when you're negotiating contracts, if you're serving on your board or if you're a manager that's helping the board you know, enter into contracts. Okay, it looks like we still have, we've got about 111 people here, which is awesome. We're gonna start the questions portion of our presentation now. It's 12.04, so I'm only four minutes over, so that's good. We have 20 questions, like I said, so I'm just gonna go through them very quickly. Um, so it's always fun to see people true ask questions. I get to see the names, unfortunately. I, I don't share the names with the group, but it's fun to see former clients and current clients here getting their questions and being able to answer them. So this first one is from um, one of my favorite former clients. So it's great to see you here today. What are the requirements to become eligible for FHA financing? Okay, really great question. The, the requirements actually change all the time because FHA is, is constantly changing their requirements. Like after Surcite, there was the Surcite flaps. There were some you know, new questions that needed to be answered under the, on the FHA location for um, anyone that was trying to get a loan. Okay, so it changes from time to time. The best thing that I can um, tell you to do would be to go to the FHA website. And like I'd Google FHA financing requirements, and I would say August 2023 in my search terms, and then they should lay them out for you. What are the requirements to become eligible? So if you're a condominium, you may have to fill out 
questionnaire, the condominium does to be FHA certified. And our firm helps associations with that process. Um, there are also our third-party companies that help associations with this process. The board can even do the process, them- process themselves. And basically, you just fill out the paperwork to, that they give you to be FHA certified. And then once the association is FHA certified, then owners can get FHA loans. So that's how it works. So the requirements to be eligible would be the board has to fill out the paperwork or they have to hire somebody to fill out the paperwork. I've even had homeowners who are really motivated to get FHA financing. They fill out the paperwork for the board. But some of the things that FHA is looking for is how much money does the condo have in reserves? What are the assessments? How many delinquencies do you have in your community? What's the total dollar of delinquencies? Basically, they don't want to give out a loan in an association that isn't well run based on their criteria. You know, that's just a quick 411 on what are the requirements. Okay, the next question is, what recourse do association members have when the association board of directors openly violates the association's governing documents? I hear this question every time I teach a class. So I guess maybe that might be something that we want to talk about in the future to help owners better understand what their rights are. So what recourse do you have? Number one, you should write a letter to the board or attend a board meeting and write a letter. I always like to have the written documentation stating your concerns. Like, I'm concerned that the board made this decision and here's why. And so I think documenting and writing is one recourse. Attending a board meeting, another recourse, expressing your concerns there. You can go to the Arizona Department of Real Estate and file a complaint against the board and have an administrative law judge hear your grievance. Um, You can find out more information on that by just Googling Arizona and ADRE, HOA or condo dispute. Um, It has to be a dispute regarding the Condominium Act or the Planned Communities Act and and or the association's documents, a violation of the association's documents. But you also have the right to sue. So you could file a lawsuit or hire a lawyer, send a letter first. And then if that doesn't work, then file a lawsuit against the association. You have the right to move, right? People get mad when I say that, so I'm hesitant to to say that. But if you're really unhappy with how things are running in your association and you can't make positive change, you may want to think about leaving, selling your property and moving. You may want to run for the board yourself. Put your name in that ring and, and run for the board. You may want to do a removal petition to remove your board from office. If you're interested in getting more information on that, you can just go to our cheat sheet. On our top 10 cheat sheet, number six is the Arizona legal process under Arizona law to remove a director from office. Oftentimes, I'll hear frustration from owners and they'll say, I can't do anything. Well, I just gave you at least seven pivots of what you can do, right? You can write a letter. You can go to a board meeting. You can go to the ADRE and file a complaint. You can file a lawsuit. You can move. You can run for the board yourself. You can remove the directors from office that you think aren't doing a good job. These are all different things that you have, recourse that you have to make things better in your association. Okay, the next question, number three, how can we effectively work with board members who have no computer access or skills and who have cognitive issues? This can be an issue sometimes, right? Where you have board members who either don't have a lot of tech savvy or have no tech savvy, meaning they don't even have a computer. Um, and they're opposed to Zoom and they don't don't do email. And so let's kind of analyze that first. It's pretty unusual 
in my experience of working with 4,000 associations that we see a situation like this. But sometimes it does happen and it takes more work for the management company and more work for the board that board member that isn't computer savvy and more work for the entire board that has a board member that's not computer savvy to keep that person informed. It's not ideal, but there's no requirement under Arizona law that says that they have to have a computer or that they have to understand most recent technology so that they can you know, participate by the most recent technology. That's not a requirement. It's helpful that it's not a requirement. So sometimes I get the question, do we have to buy them a computer? Maybe it's a money thing. I would be opposed to doing that. I, you know, I don't think that we would go to that level to allow them to be informed. I mean, I have seen some associations do that, but obviously it's a property of the association. It comes back to the association after that board member is no longer on the board. It should only be used for board business type of things. But I, I really kind of like to shy away from that. I don't like that. And I think it causes future problems and questions that are valid questions. Like, why are we buying a computer for somebody on the board? It doesn't really make sense. Okay. So that analysis is you just got to, you know, elbow grease and lots of extra work to keep that person up to speed if they don't have technology. What about somebody who has cognitive issues? I really haven't seen that that often, to be perfectly honest with you. And it's surprising. Really, it is kind of surprising because the demographics of board members typically are that, you know, a majority of them are retired. And if you just look at the percentages of people that may have dementia or cognitive issues, you know, it's kind of surprising that we don't see more of it. But if you feel that somebody has cognitive issues, you know, that's a sensitive subject because it's not like you can go up to them and say, well, I think you have cognitive issues or, you know, because if you know anything about the disease, dementia and Alzheimer's, you know that that is not going to be well received. And so I think the best advice I can give you on that is if this person is in a position like treasurer or president of the association, that you raise the issue, don't talk about them personally, but raise the issue that maybe they aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Like maybe they're missing meetings or they're not carefully reviewing the financials. Maybe we need to have a second person be an assistant treasurer. Maybe you volunteer to help. It's sticky for sure. And you may want to run for a position on the board to unseat that person if you feel that they are not cognitively able to be a good board member. Okay, question number four. Our HOA board consists of snowbirds who have monthly Zoom meetings. What is the best way to handle bills that come in and need to be paid before our next meeting? The majority wants to just do an email approval so the manager can pay them and then formally adopt at the next meeting. How do you recommend we handle this? I recommend that you, as a board, vote to give your manager authority to pay, you know, whatever the routine bills are and other bills up to a certain amount in between board meetings. And then the manager can just give you a report by either sending an email saying, okay, just FYI only, here are the bills that were paid. If anybody has questions, raise the issue at the next board meeting or whatever. I think that's probably the best way to do it versus going through and approving each one individually by email after the board meeting is over. That kind of doesn't make sense to me. I think most association bills, I served as my treasurer for three years of my association. Most association bills are routine. And most association bills have been voted on by the association or approved by the association to pay. So I would have the board do a blanket approval of routine bills 
and anything that's been approved at the board meeting that can go ahead and be paid and managers keeps you apprised of what's going on. Okay, next question, number five. CCNRs state that funds must be spent to, for the benefit of the homeowners. From your experience, does this infer 50% or more of the members must benefit from the improvement? I really don't infer that. I think it just needs to be because let's let's face it, like let's say I love tennis and I love pickleball. So 50% of the community doesn't use the tennis and pickleball amenities. Does that mean that we don't spend money keeping that amenity up? No. So, I mean, I think you need to look at how funds are spent so that we're being economical and we're maintaining the property that we have. But I don't think that you can just make a blanket rule that says 50% or more of the members don't benefit from it. We're not doing it anymore. I don't think that's a good analysis. Okay, question number six. I have requested to meet with the board privately and the community manager has refused to set up a meeting. What are my options? Ooh, I love this question because it it's kind of like dripping with, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but I'm sure there's a story. <laughs> okay, so anyways, I don't know what the situation is. If you're asking to meet with the board privately because you want to complain about the manager, is that why the manager is blocking the meeting? I don't know. Or you're wanting to meet with the board and maybe, I'm sorry, this might hurt, the board doesn't want to meet with you. I don't know what the situation is, but if you want to meet with them privately and you're not quite sure why they aren't meeting with you, go to a board meeting and during the homeowner forum, ask them, can I meet with you privately? And honestly, most boards don't meet privately with an owner unless there's like litigation pending or there's a real serious problem. So don't have your feelings get hurt if that doesn't happen because they can't meet with everybody in the community, right? But just see what they say. I think that's the best way to approach it. Go to a board meeting during the homeowner forum, state, I want to meet with the board privately, explain why, even if it means that you have to say, I want to talk with you about the performance of the manager or whatever, and then see what they say. Your options are they don't have to meet with you privately. So you don't have any options. You can't force them to meet with you privately. Okay, next question, number seven. How common is it for the management company to have the authority to initiate legal action, such as a demand letter, without informing the board of directors? You know, it really just depends on how the management company operates, you know, and what the management contract says. I mean, again, these are all things that should be communicated in the management contract or in expectations. Maybe the board has delegated this to the management company. Or maybe the management company just started doing it out of the blue and maybe the board's worrying like, hey, are they like trying to make money on this? Or why are we sending out so many letters? So open the lines of communication. You know, how common is it? It's pretty common, frankly, that the management company, you know, sends demand letter or, you know, records a lien. That's something that we see often. But a management company filing a lawsuit, we don't see that. That usually goes to the attorney. Okay, next question. Number eight from a board member. We remodeled our pool and had a $250,000 budget with a six-month duration to finish. Two and a half year later, two and a half years later, the pool remodel was completed. Within a week of opening, we had our first water leak, just one of many. Come to find out the old water pipes were not all replaced. Our property manager has not taken any responsibility. His answer is it's always someone else's fault. What avenue do we have? Well, first things first, okay, the management company or the manager, 
it's not their fault, right? Let's just get that out straight up, okay? It's the contractor's fault. And so the property manager should be saying to the board, we need to contact the register of contractors. We need to look at the contract with the vendor and make what was the warranty. I mean, another really good point that I forgot from my contract discussion earlier was warranty, right? Is there a warranty for work depending on what type of contract it is? And this is not acceptable to have a week like this and many weeks right after the project took too long already to, to do. And so I would get legal counsel involved. I would look at the contract. I think about going to the registered contractors if you're still within the time period that they can become involved and help you. The manager taking responsibility, it doesn't, they don't have any responsibility. What the manager of a company should be doing is action, getting this to the decision makers, the board to make a decision to send it to the attorney to help you. This is a very large amount of money. It's a quarter of a million dollars. I think this is something that you should get your attorney involved in to get to work on it to get this fixed. Next question, number nine. Our HOA fields, our current CCNRs are in good shape except for one thing. They do not include reimbursement assessment. Can this be introduced in a different governing document or possibly a resolution? I love teaching these classes because I don't know everything, right? I don't, I don't know what a reimbursement assessment is, frankly. Honestly, I truly don't know what that is. So I guess a thought that I would have is anytime you're trying to add an assessment obligation to the obligations that the owners have, it cannot be done by resolution. You know, like a good example, capital contribution fee, that has to be part of the CCNRs. Special assessments has to be part of the CCNRs. If you're any assessment that you're trying to charge your owners, it has to be listed as something that they have to pay under the CCNRs. And so what I would suggest that you do is talk to your attorney about this. This can't be a resolution. I'm not exactly sure what reimbursement assessment is. Maybe you're thinking like special assessment or something or reimburse after you do the project. I don't know, but it's got to be in the CCNRs and we need to talk to your attorney about the best way to do that. Okay, question 10. By law, must third-party property managers have a CAI designation? If not, what organ... What other organizations award qualifying certificates? So good question. This is on you know managers. Do they have to have a designation in Arizona? Or do they have to be licensed through the state? Or do they have to have special educational training through the state? Or is that a state law that requires that? No, 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 or no. CAI, just everybody's on the same page here, Community Associations Institute. It is a national think tank which provides free information to homeowners, board members, property managers. They have wonderful classes and crediting for managers and for homeowners. And so there are different levels of education that the managers can go through and the designations that they get like PCAM, you know, and all the different designations that they can get are wonderful, but they're not required. And so you, I even have a designation through CAI. I'm a in the College of Community Association Lawyers, which was hard to get into. So I'm very proud of it. And so what I would, you know, just let you know, there are no really other organizations that have qualifying certificates other than there's an organization, wonderful organization in Arizona called the Arizona Association of Community Managers. They also have an education program where you can get certificates and designations you know, so CAI and AACM are great resources and they do have the designations, but they're not required under Arizona law. So it's something to look at. Do they have it? 
that might be, you know, a gold star next to their name because that means that they, you know, have taken the time and effort to get educated on our industry, but it's not required. Okay, next question is from a, a current client. Can we require reimbursement of costs and B, enforce a fine on an owner who contacts vendors directly and gives direction without authorization and usually without the knowledge of the board and the management company? This owner, who happens to be a prior board member, has repeatedly been warned that he must reimburse the association for costs incurred this way. Okay, so you've got a homeowner, former board member, which is always a challenging little category. Somebody who's served on the board and they're no longer on the board and they're upset about how the current board is running. Not a good combination. So this person is contacting your vendors and giving them direction. Okay, number one, tell the vendor, like, you don't talk to anybody other than the manager and current board members. And if you're doing work or taking direction from somebody that is not in one of those two categories, you are violating the contract. So get that clear with the, the contractor right away. Can you find this owner or reimburse, ask for reimbursement of costs? Well, A, I probably wouldn't pay those costs to the contractor, number one, because it wasn't authorized. And two, the only way we can find an owner for under the law in Arizona is if they have violated the CCNRs, the bylaws, or the rules of the association. And so I don't know if you have a rule that says you can't do this with a contractor, or you can't give direction or answer those relationships. I suppose it could be considered creating a nuisance, but it's kind of a stretch to say that. So I would kind of shy away from you know trying to find them for this. What I would do is I would send them a letter and tell them to cease and desist from doing that. Uh, maybe even have your attorney send that letter, but I think the fine might be a strap. Okay, question number 12. And let's see, how many more do we have to go? We have 24, so we're at the halfway point. Is it best to notify the current management company that the community is shopping for a replacement or just to verify that we have the best pricing for the services rendered? Does the board initiate the open board meeting since the community manager usually sets up meetings on hiring a new management company? Okay, this is such a good question. And I'm sorry, I should have talked about this more in my presentation, but that's why we have these questions. We do clean up in the questions sometimes. So is it best to notify the management company that you have right now that you're going to fire them or that you're looking? I don't know the answer to that question, but what I can tell you is I think that being open and honest is always the best policy in this situation because like I said earlier in the presentation, this is a small industry and management companies talk. And so if they find out about it from another management company, they're going to be hurt and upset and they may fire you first. And so kind of a, a sneaky way, I guess, to inform them, but also keep them dangling the carrot that, hey, we're not necessarily going to can you, but we're just testing the waters, is to just let them know that you're going to put it out to bid just to make sure that the price that you're paying them is consistent with what the market dictates. And if they're confident in their services and their pricing, they should be okay with that. But the reality is most of them will get it and they'll, you know, they Maybe they won't even bid. I don't know. Sometimes they do bid and sometimes they do get they do get rehired, but most times they don't. So is it best to notify them? I think it probably is because you can't sneak around it. Oh, the cat always gets out of the bag and then it's uncomfortable. So just be honest. Let them know what you're doing. If there's no way you're going to hire them, then tell them we've appreciated the time that you worked with us, but we are going in a different direction. 
we want to be honest with you and upfront, and this is what we're planning to do. You know, and you may even be giving them their termination letter at that point. I don't know. Does the board have to initiate it if you're doing it on the sly and not telling the management company about it? Yes, you still have to comply with the open meeting law. So, you know, you've got to post a notice 48 hours, 48 hours in advance of the regular board meeting. Okay, question 13. How do you know if you're being overcharged by a management company? Good question. I guess talk to your lawyer, make, hope your lawyer is independent and not totally hooked in with the management company. I hope they will give you an honest answer. If you contact me, I will tell you straight up exactly what I think because I'm not associated with any one management company. I'm independent and my client is always the association. So, I mean, how do you know if you're being overcharged? I guess having a third party look at the bills and, you know, saying, hmm, that doesn't seem right. Like, I think kind of a little rule of thumb would be if you're paying more on exhibit A charges than your monthly rate that you're paying them for the management services, yeah, that's probably a red flag. You should probably be thinking like, hmm, that doesn't sound right. Um, and you may want to reach out to me or your trusted legal advisor to get their opinion. Another way to know if you're being overcharged is to take a look at the expenses over a year and then put it out to bid. See what the bids come at and come in at um, in terms of how much other management companies think it's going to cost to manage your association. Really good question for the interview process is how much do you anticipate our exhibit A charges to be for our association each month? Um, and then see what they say you know, and then see how they respond to this response when we're negotiating the contract. Okay. You said in the interview that you thought that the exhibit A charges were going to be a thousand dollars a month. Can we write into the contract that there's a cap of 1500 a month? You, like, you can never exceed that. See what they say. Be interesting to see the answer. Next question. Number 14. What do you suggest being in the weekly updates for board members? Oh, and this is from a manager. So great. I love that you are asking this question. So basically what I would suggest being in the weekly update, and if you do this, just so you know, you are a superstar because I know our manager does this just because we set this up for her to do it. And I love it because it just gives us an update of what happened that week. So it doesn't have to be long. It's not a management packet every week. Okay. It's an email saying, um, dear board of directors, this week I focused on the following. I got bids for the replastering of the pool and I'll have those for you at our board meeting. I dealt with an angry homeowner who was upset about the broken sprinkler at her house and I got the sprinkler fixed too. We have, I looked at the delinquencies and, you know, we have three owners that haven't paid assessments for six months. And so I told the pursuant to our management company, we can lean those properties. So we went ahead and told the collection department to lean them. Just whatever, it doesn't have to be long. Our managers is like maybe five sentences each week. If there's a real serious problem, like there was a fire or blankety blank, this is how I handled it. Just giving an update on what happened and what you're working on. And if you know that you've got a board member that's fixated on something like the flowers at the entrance to the community and the board member is saying, why don't we have the flowers in? Why don't we have the flowers in? And you've been contacting the landscaper to say, why don't you have the flowers in? Say, I contacted the landscaper on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and they told me they were going to come on Thursday. They didn't come on Thursday. So I contacted them Thursday afternoon. Where are you? 
Um, and now they're coming on Monday and I will continue to follow up with them to make sure they get here. That's going to pacify your upset board members. So be strategic in how you handle your weekly update to board. Make sure you're addressing the things that are important to them. Next question is, how essential are committees to organize work? Um, We have a great cheat sheet on this topic, Association Committee Basics. It just really depends. Some associations have a lot of committees that really help the board with a lot of different things. Other associations usually don't have any committee other than like the architectural review committee. And so it just depends. If your board needs help, it's really essential to have a committee out there doing the legwork and doing research to report back to the board to make a decision. Are they essential? They can be if your association needs extra help. Okay, next question, number 16. What is the minimum that AA grade community manager, AAA grade, like that community manager should be on site to look for community issues such as maintenance needs, homeowner compliance with CCNRs? Tough question to ask because I have a lot of associations of different sizes. So the first thing you got to look at is what does the management contract say? Does the management contract say that they need to be there once a week? Then they should be there once a week. My personal feeling, you know, not even factoring in the management contract is if somebody is a AAA manager, five-star manager, they should be on the property at least once a week and they should be driving around, walking around, kicking the tires, looking at things, talking to the landscaper while they're there, engaged on the property and engaged would be the two things, aware of the issues on the property, engaged, and also willing to take feedback because... I think all of us know when we're serving on the board, I, my husband and I walk our dog a lot, a lot at night and I'm walking the dog and I'm like looking at problems in the community, right? He's a homeowner. He's not looking at that. He's actually telling me to stop, you know, like stop taking pictures. And I want to enjoy the walk. And so when you're a board member, you see things that maybe other homeowners don't see. And so if the property manager gets a picture from a board member saying, hey, I saw this, I think this needs to be addressed. I think that that's important for them to address and be receptive to that. Say, thank you for bringing that to my attention. I'll get that taken care of and then do it. Okay, question 17. Does the board have the right to hire a community manager without any open board meetings? As an interested homeowner, I have never seen anything until they are hired both from outside the community as well as promoted from another position as in this case, assistant community manager. You know, it really hiring and firing of vendors needs to take place in an open board meeting. Just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it hasn't happened in an open board meeting. If they did it in a closed session, it wasn't perfectly legally proper, but they probably cleaned it up by announcing it. I just want to make it clear from this presentation, okay, do it in the open meeting because then the minutes reflected and it's official and it doesn't fall under one of the executive session topics. Just hiring and firing a vendor is not a reason to go into executive session unless your legal counsel is there and you're talking about the legal side of that. Uh, Next question, question 18. Do you recommend that a potential management company for hiring be part of the Arizona Association of Community Managers? I am very familiar with AACM. I actually used to be a vendor member of AACM and they're a great organization. They do a lot of great education for managers. So I recommend, of course, I recommend 
Community Associations Institute. The local chapter has great education programs. I recommend Arizona Association of Community Managers has great educational programs. I used to teach some of them uh, myself. So I don't get fixated on, I think they're better or they're better. I don't do that. I just say any education that managers can get in our industry to make them better, including these classes, are necessary and a great idea. Okay, next question, number 19. Why are the management companies not licensed? Yes, that's a very good question. I don't know why. You know, what I can tell you is that it has not been a priority by the Arizona State Legislature. I think there are some lobbyists that are hired by management companies that, you know, are hired to fight this. I don't think it would be that big of a deal if they were licensed. Um, you know, basically they just have to pay a fee. There probably would have to be mandatory education and there would be oversight by the state. It's expensive to do have the state run a program like that. So, and I don't know if the licensing fees would cover the costs, but so why are they not licensed? Because I think it's been blocked by lobbyists previously. And I think that it's expensive for the state to do. And we typically get this question a lot when we start to see a lot of problems with management companies or embezzlement by management companies. This question kind of comes to the forefront. And I think it it will happen in Arizona someday. It's just, it's not a legislative priority right now for the Arizona legislature. Okay. Question 20. You said all discussion about hiring a new management company and firing a management company needs to be done in an open session. How can this discussion and decision be done when the current community manager attends the open meetings. It feels rude to talk about replacing the community manager in front of them at an open meeting. I mean, I agree. That's why you need to have the talk with them at the beginning and just say, we are going in this direction and we certainly don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. You're welcome to stay at this part of the meeting or we'll put it at the end of the meeting and you're welcome to leave a little early so that you don't have to listen in on this conversation. Okay, question number 21. How do you broach the subject of switching management companies with the other board members and request to a quorum? Also, our board meets monthly, but with the management company present. Okay, so if you want to switch management companies and you're, you don't want to do it in an open meeting, and maybe this is like the first time you're thinking of it, like, you know, this isn't going well, and I want to talk about it with the rest of the board. Um, what you could do as a board member is reach out to board members individually and express your concerns. So don't send a blast email to all board members. Send an email to one board member or have a meeting with one board member or have a meeting with less than a quorum and talk about your concerns. And that's kind of like the initial part. And then if you start to see that, okay, this snowball is getting bigger, you know, and, and now everybody thinks, yeah, I think this might be time to switch the management company then what you may want to do is have a board member reach out to the attorney, talk about, okay, if we were going to do this, what would this look like? And what does the termination provision mean in the contract? And then after you kind of get over those initial discussions, and the attorney can be smart and help you and and not put in the, the bill, hey, telephone conference with client regarding termination of management company, right? You could just say, telephone conference with client regarding association questions, you know, so we're not telegraphing to the management company when we get my bill that, you know, hey, you're about to be fired. And so there's a way to do it with less than a quorum, talk about it. And then once you feel that you have enough people to actually move this to the open meeting, then just ask them to put it on the agenda and have the talk with the manager and let them know what's going on. 
Or if you don't want to have the talk and you want to do it on the slide, then you you know have the board notice the meeting and you run the risk of having manager find out about it and being upset. Question number 21, how do you broach the subject of switching management companies with the other board members in request? Oops, I think I already did that one, right? And next one, is there a recommended frequency for compliance tours? Twice a month, too frequent. So we're getting this question a couple of times now. So it's it's a good question. So if whatever your management company contract says, that's what they're required to do. Is recommended frequency twice a month? I mean, I don't know. How much of a problem do you have in your community? I think that's kind of a lot, frankly. I think once a month is probably enough. Um, number 22, is there a recommended... Oops, let's see. Number 23, how can a board remove a fellow board member who constantly creates issues at the meetings and on social media? Ooh, and this is a problem. I'm starting to get a lot of questions about angry board members who are going on social media and saying not so positive things about the board and the community. So we're starting to talk about this with, with boards and how improper that is and how the code of conduct doesn't allow that and how it potentially breaches fiduciary responsibilities to the corporation. So how can a board remove a fellow board member who constantly creates issues at the meetings and on social media? Okay. First, I would suggest that you talk with the board member, have the president, hopefully it's not the president, have a board member talk to the other board member about the issues. Often when you have that meeting, the board member that is being talked to about the behavior doesn't see their behavior as a problem. Um, and that's always frustrating. So then usually it goes to the attorney and the attorney will send a letter to the board member saying cease and desist from doing whatever they're doing. How to remove them. There's a process under state law. Um, like I said, you can go to our cheat sheet, top 10 things you need to know about Arizona Community Association law. Number six is how to remove a director from office. Um, that shows you how to do that. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. Removal meetings are always very controversial and expensive and tear the community apart. So I don't know if you want to go that route. Uh, what you might want to do is wait it out, try to get them to behave and wait it out and have somebody run against them in the future, the next opportunity when their seat's up for re-election. You may want to strip them of their title as an officer. Are they you know, an officer of the community? President, vice president, treasurer, secretary? Take away their title. They're still a director at large, but they no longer have that title. And typically the bylaws will allow them to do that. Okay, question number 24. Looks like we have about three more questions. Our board has been very successful in accumulating a significant amount of money in our reserve account without any significant capital improvement projects in the near future. Can an HOA invest in a long-term investment tool like a CD, two-year, three-year, five-year term, despite being a nonprofit corporation? Yes, I think you can. Our, my association where I live, we have almost all of our reserve funds in CDs. Um, what you want to do, though, is you want to have enough liquid cash that if something significant came up, you want to have that available to handle whatever the problem is. You kind of have to you know your community better than I do. We also have a great cheat sheet on reserve funds, um, which I encourage you to take a look at. But good for you that you have a great reserve. Um, now, just you have to be smart about how you invest it so that you have liquid um, capital available in case you need it. Okay, question 25. Our bylaws state that a board meeting requires 10 days notice. The president scheduled a meeting with 17 hours notice to make a motion to remove the VP from their officer role. 
Two boards told the president this meeting is in violation of the bylaws and can't meet. The other three board members approved and the vice president is removed. Is it valid? Board meetings are going to require 48 hours notice unless it's an emergency. So, I mean, is it valid? I don't know. Is it worth it to go fight about it? Because basically what they're going to do is re-notice the meeting, get 48 hours notice, same boat, VPs out. So is it worth it? I don't know. You have to decide that. 17 hours is not enough because it doesn't sound like it was an emergency based upon what you've told me, but they're just going to re-notice it and do the 48 hours and it's going to be the same result. So maybe place your efforts somewhere else that is going to actually make a difference. Okay. Last question. Can the board make a decision not to consider any other management companies and just give a contract for five years to the current management company without getting input from the community? Does the board have the right to do that? Yes. If it's not in your CCNRs that they can't enter into a contract for more than a certain period of years. So if bylaws or CCNRs don't have a provision that says, you know, no long-term contracts, the board can do it. Is it a good idea? No, that is not a good idea because you want to be able to terminate the contract if you're not happy with the services. And if you're giving the management company a five-year contract, what benefit is that to you? Maybe there's a benefit in the pricing. I don't know. I'd have to listen to the facts and I'd have to see how long you've had the management company and find out from the board why they did this. It's uncustomary and it's not something I would suggest but I always like to listen to all facts so that I can make a good decision in my response. So that would be my thoughts on that. Okay, conclusion for today. I just want to give a shout out to the number of viewers from Sedona and Tucson who joined us here today in addition to um, the Valley of the Sun. So thank you so much for being here today. It's great to have new demographics joining us here today for these classes. And we appreciate you being here as well as our old faithfuls from the Valley of the Sun. Thank you also for being here too. Okay, a few things to mention regarding um, our class today. First, we had 122 live viewers on Zoom today and many other viewers who also joined us on Facebook Live. So thank you so much for being here today and caring about your communities, wanting to make them better. Some upcoming educational opportunities that are free that I wanna make sure you're aware of. First things first, Friday, September 1st, nine o'clock a.m. is our firm's virtual first Friday free call-in. And the first Friday free call-in is a time where I answer one HOA or condo question live from each participant. Um, you can find details about this on our website at mulcahylawfirm.com. We take questions submitted through our website through the morning of September 1st at 8.45 a.m. So I hope you'll join us, not only to have your question answered, but also to listen to other people's questions and my answers to those questions to help you run your association. Our next virtual HOA Condo Academy is on Tuesday, September 19th. And this is class number nine of our 2023 virtual HOA Academy. And the topic for this class is money matters, creating a budget, which we're all working on probably starting soon. So it's a very timely class, our budget for 2024. How do we create a budget? What goes into making a budget? What are the factors that we consider? How do we read financials so that we make sure that our association is um, in good financial shape? And then last but not least, preventing fraud and embezzlement and the 411 on reserve funds and how they, how they operate, how um, safe for them, how you know how much money to put in the reserve, et cetera. Last but not least, for those of you who are still here with us today, 
it's really important that we receive feedback on how we're doing in these classes. And one of the ways that you can give me feedback is to consider leaving our firm a Google review. It's very easy to do this. We are going to give you a link right now. And if you wouldn't mind, I would sincerely appreciate it if you would take the time to fill out a Google review and let us know how we're doing with the classes. Um, We pass this information along to the different neighborhood services departments so that they understand the feedback and and the need for these classes and anything that you want to let us know about the classes. I pass that on to them. And then that helps me convince them to continue teaching these classes going forward in 2024. So it helps me out if you do take the time to give us a Google review. So I really appreciate that. And we'll be sharing the Google link with you now on Zoom and on Facebook Live. So that's it for today. Thanks so much to everybody for being here with us. Um, Great questions. I could tell that everybody was really listening and engaged and do your questions. So we covered a lot of material today. Um, I hope everybody has a great rest of the month. And I look forward to seeing you during our free educational opportunities in September. Take care, everybody. Bye. Don't forget, our free cheat sheets are available for download at mulcahylawfirm.com. They attend our Zoom, Facebook Live, First Friday free call-in, videos, and podcasts is to provide a forum for board members and community managers to receive answers to HOA and condo legal questions. Please note, the content in these sessions are general in nature and is not intended to and should not be relied upon or construed as legal opinion or legal advice regarding any specific issue or factual circumstance. You should directly consult with an attorney for advice regarding your individual situation.